well, here we are back in Colossians, this wonderful letter written by our brother and our servant Paul. And it's a wonderful letter indeed, one that I hope we become familiar with, uh, if you're not already familiar with it. Uh, we've already covered chapter one previously this year, but uh, today we are starting in chapter two, uh, verses one through five. Now, just a few months ago, back in July, in fact, I received uh, a text, a num- number of texts from you guys uh, about a strange text that I had sent some of you guys. Uh, perhaps you saw it, perhaps you didn't, uh, but let me just read what that text said. Uh, this particular member, I'll leave member. It's Josh Trosper, which is my name. Are you available on text? To which this member replied, yes. And then I replied back saying, I have been aiming to make some donations to seven members in the church by getting them Apple gift cards. I want this to be confidential between us until they receive them. Can I get them from you from a store around? I'll pay you back. Now, I hope you recognize that this was not a message that I sent out. This was uh, from a phone number that had the 669 prefix, which just comes from California, and I'm not from California. I'm from Montana, so my phone number starts with 406. Uh, Not to mention, this is just downright shady. If any pastor was to ever ask you for money and then say, "But by the way, keep it confidential, I would hope you would have enough discernment to know, even if it was from me, that you shouldn't do that. But if you do ever receive an email or a message from me or any other elder for that matter that contains such an atrocious request, just ignore it. And if anything, just let the elders know that that came your way. But uh, why did this scammer, this thief, try to get money from you all by using my name? Perhaps it was because the Nigerian prince scam is not as effective as it once was While on the other hand, we ignore the message from strangers, we teach our kids stranger danger, and yet all the more, we are more likely to trust those who we know, especially those who have demonstrated themselves to be trustworthy and credible. And so, it was a rather bold message from a deceptive stranger wishing to pass themselves as someone who might be familiar, perhaps that of a friend and even your pastor. But by and large, we know not to respond to such dangers, even those who would pass themselves as your friends. And yet there's something strange we do as Christians. In fact, it's something strange that we've done already even today as we just read through this entire letter of Colossians, and that is that we devote ourselves to reading the scriptures and these these letters, even though we might not actually know these people who wrote them intimately, at least It might not seem like we know them intimately. We don't know them face to face. And yet we'll go so far as to memorize these letters and pour over them day by day, or at least you ought to, because these are precious, precious letters to you and to me. And so though I do not know Paul personally, I don't know his face, I do not know his height, I do not know his stature, I do feel like I know him all the same. 
And perhaps you feel the same way. I know him through his letters. I know his familiar writings. I know his run-on sentences and his greetings and his love for the church and for the saints and for Christ and his, his passion for the truth. And I hope you know Paul as well, though you do not know his face. I hope you know his words, but you've never heard his voice. And so it is, Paul wants the Colossians to know what he's writing to them, though they too have never seen him face to face. That's the context by which this letter is coming to them. He's writing from prison to these Christians who he has never met. And this is the message of Paul. He wants them to know, and he wants therefore us to know, that Jesus is supreme. That is, he is fully sufficient and fully satisfying. And with the supremacy of Christ will come radical commandments from Paul to the Colossians and consequently to us as well. Let me just give you one example of such a bold request that Paul makes. Soon enough, we'll read this towards the end of this letter. Paul, he gives instructions to bond servants, and then he gives instructions to the master of those bond servants as well. But this is, if this isn't bold enough already, we hear of a person in, in 4.9 named Onesimus. Now those who know your Bibles well should know who Onesimus is. In fact, we have another letter written by Paul regarding Onesimus, and that is the letter to a bondservant. Well, not a bondservant, a master, excuse me, of this bondservant named Philemon. Listen to Paul's request to Philemon, this master of this slave named Onesimus. He said to Philemon, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. In other words, he's wanting this master to no longer treat this runaway slave as a slave, but instead he wants him to be treated as a brother in Christ as he truly is. A bold request, to be sure. And a bold request made by a stranger who has never seen Philemon face to face, nor any of the other Colossians for that matter. And this becomes abundantly clear in the text that we see this morning, that Paul has not met the Colossians. Listen to Colossians 2, 1-5 through 5, yet again. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. Laodicea would have been one of the neighboring cities close to Colossae, to whom Paul said there at the end of chapter 4 that he wants them to exchange letters and read them to one another. I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you all, even though you have not seen me face to face. And here's why. So that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach the full riches of assurance and of understanding and of the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. And here we're reminded yet again that they have not seen Paul, nor is he there among them. For though I am absent in body, the same word body there is the very same word, as face-to-face -face in the original language. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith. 
in Christ. And so Paul, in many ways, is a stranger to the Colossians. Much like that stranger who, we don't even know his name, who wrote that scam email, and yet he is not a stranger who wishes to rob them, nor rob you, or take advantage of any of us, but he is a stranger who we ought to become intimately acquainted with so that we might know what it is that he wants to do in our lives through the writing of this letter. He has made great efforts to show us just how hard he is struggling and working on our behalf. In fact, you don't see it if you just look at the chapter break in chapter 2, but it starts back at the end of chapter 1, if you recall with me, verses 28 and 29. It goes further beyond that, but listen to this. This is the ministry of Paul and the efforts for which he is making to make Christ known. Him, that's Jesus, we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in christ and here's the language that you'll hear that's familiar with our text this morning for this i toil here it is struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me this is paul's struggle this is his fight to make Christ known to the Colossians, and not just to the Colossians, but to all who haven't seen him face to face. And that includes us here this morning as well who are reading this letter. But he sounds like he's just bragging and boasting so that we might make much of Paul. Make no mistake, Paul, he makes his purpose clear in this letter. He doesn't want to simply have us make much of him. In fact, what he's doing in his struggling is serving us for our good. Though we have not seen him face to face, though he is a stranger to us, oh, he loves us, and he loves the Colossians, and he's working on their behalf. And so he said, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and those at Laodicea who have not seen me face to face. You see, Paul, though he is a stranger to the Colossians, he is an intimate friend who is struggling on their behalf. And this is the purpose in verse 2. He wants them to know his struggle so that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. You see, you might not think that you know Paul very well, but you might want to become acquainted with him more closely because he is a servant for your encouragement. You must know Paul because he struggles for your comfort That word comfort there, it's the same word as encouragement that we see in your text. It's translated both ways throughout the scriptures, but but they both mean basically the same thing. They have slight different nuances. But we should understand, Paul, he he is in fact struggling and suffering so that we might be comforted and encouraged. And I am convinced that every single one of us in one way, shape, or another is pursuing encouragement and comfort from one degree or another. We all want encouragement. That is, we all want to feel good about ourselves. We all want people to tell us that they like our shoes, or they like our, our, our clothes, or our hair, or whatever else it might be. Uh, maybe it's not that kind of encouragement. Maybe we want people to see our cars and encourage us about that. Otherwise, we also want to be comforted, as that is to say we, we want to feel good, be it by sitting in a comfortable chair or curling up in a warm blanket on a cold night. We want to be comfortable, and we will do all kinds of things to avoid being uncomfortable. And perhaps some of you would say, well, I like to push myself outside of my comfort. I like to exercise, and I like to put myself under rigorous testing. And yet even then, 
I think it's true that those who even put themselves outside of their comfort do so for their own comfort in a different way. You see, it was last year on one of those hot summer days, I remember seeing a person running in that 100 degree heat and all the while, if that wasn't already uncomfortable enough, I hate running, I hate the heat, they had a mask on their face as well. (laughs) I thought, man, I think I prefer to take a bullet in the knee. But even that person was running in that heat, even protecting themselves with a mask because they thought this was the means by which they would be comforted. Being in good shape, being healthy, not being concerned about about being sick and unhealthy. You see, we all want comfort to one degree or another. And so if you want comfort this morning, if you want encouragement, well then, you're in luck. Because Paul, he's laboring on your behalf. But how is this encouragement? How is this comfort? How do we receive it? How do we obtain it? He says this in verse 2. He's working, he's struggling, so that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. Oh, there is great comfort from this unity in love. There is great comfort when we are not divided and at war with one another. But what does this have to do with Paul's struggling? His effort to preach the gospel? How does comfort and the the being knit together in love connect with Paul's effort to proclaim Christ? I think it's hinted back in chapter 1. Colossians 1, verses 3 and 5. You'll remember Paul in his prayer. He said, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. So it's not enough for them to just simply have faith, but it's faith that is confirmed by their love for one another. So I think that's the connection here. That Paul wants them to be encouraged, being knit together in love because their being knit together in love is the fruit and confirmation that their faith is genuine. And we see a similar expression even in Paul to that same master of that slave in Philemon that this letter was accompanied with. Philemon verse 7. For I have, Paul, he's received, he's derived much joy, and here's that word, comfort, very similar to the word we have today, from your love. And so if you want to be comforted and you want to be encouraged, You must listen to Paul and receive his gospel because the effect of that will be love. And when that love takes place in your life and root in your life and it becomes evidence, you can be sure of this. You are in Christ. What an encouragement that is to be found in him who loved you and died for you so that you might live not just temporarily and not just partially, but you might have life to the full for all eternity. So do you want to be comforted? Do you want to be encouraged? Then you must listen to Paul, though he might be a stranger to you. Become intimate with him. Know him. Know his words. For he is a servant for your encouragement and for your joy. Now it seems silly enough to say that you should 
know Him and read Him. I mean, we all want to be happy and encouraged and comforted, and yet we know that we so often resist the very thing which we ought to do, though we know it is for our best. Kids, we know this, don't we? If you had it your way, you would not eat the dinner that your mom or dad may have prepared for you, but you would have ice cream for dinner. Though you know it is not what is best for you, it is what you prefer, and yet your mom and dad, if they love you, they will restrain you from having ice cream for dinner lest you have a tummy ache and get sick. And yet, kids, it's not just you. Even the adults do the same thing in one way, shape, or another. We do this even when we do not floss our teeth. Though the dentist would remind us time and time again that we ought to do so. Kids, you might remind your parents to floss their teeth tonight. You see, we avoid to do the very thing that we know that we ought to do, even the thing that is for our good. And so too, it's important that I say you ought to reap all, for he is a servant for your comfort. Because so often we go days without taking up Paul or the other apostles or the other prophets who God has given us for our own good. But Paul, this is what he's doing. He is, he is striving for our good, that we might be built up in Christ, that we might be encouraged, that we might be strengthened. And that is what the gospel is. It's the, the message of God's power for sinners to change us, to transform us, to make us new. It is a message, though, not of just doom and gloom. It's not a message of despair for those who, who are just not good enough. It's not what the gospel is. Yes, when the gospel is preached faithfully, we will give warnings and instructions and admonition and call you to repentance. But fundamentally, the gospel is good news. It is a word of encouragement to the sinner who repents that he is now hid in Christ. This is why Jesus himself said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And so Paul, he is a serpent for our comfort and for our encouragement, but make no mistake about it. If you are to receive this comfort, this, comfort, this encouragement, then you must also be unified, be knit together in love. For if you do not love one another, it is owing to this. You do not know Christ, who himself is love. John, another one of our servants for our comfort, said it so clearly. 1 John 3.10, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And so if you are not knit together in love, the comfort that Paul is offering is not a comfort you should enjoy, at least not yet. Not if you don't repent of your sins. Not if you go on doing what is evil. Paul makes his plain elsewhere. 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. It's the chapter that we all maybe have read at our, our weddings that a husband and a wife who love one another are to do, and yet this isn't about marriage. This is about brotherly love amongst Christians who are knit together in love. And yet Paul, he tells us, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. That is, if I'm preaching to you even now and giving you words of, of, of eloquence, and even if I were to speak in tongues that came directly from God, but it's without love, it's, 
the gong, the nuisance. And if I have all prophetic powers and understanding all mysteries and all knowledge, as Paul truly did have, as we're going to see here in just a moment, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, that is the true sign of love, right? No greater love than this, to lay down your life for your friend. But if I have not love, I gain nothing. You see, as we talk about being comforted, this comfort is for those who are in Christ. And those who are in Christ will be knit together in love as opposed to being divided and hostile and hating his brother, even his enemy. But make no mistake all the same, Paul. If you do love one another, Paul's wanting you to be encouraged to see that love as being an evidence of genuine faith. That you have been not just knit together with your brothers and sisters in Christ, but you have also been knit together with Christ who is your head. And so this is one of his purpose statements here for why he is laboring and working so hard. This stranger who hadn't seen the Colossians face to face, nor who has seen us face to face, but that's not the only reason why he's writing. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, first of all, so that their hearts might be encouraged, being knit together in love. That's the first purpose statement in our text. But here's the second. He wants us to know his struggle so that we could reach all the riches, a full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You know how earlier I talked about how Paul does those run-on sentences? This is certainly one of them. It's a, it's a pretzel for sure, and it makes me dizzy when I read it sometimes if I'm not very clear on what's going on. But let me play, uh, say it just very simply what he's saying. The second purpose for why he's writing to the Colossians and to us, and the second reason for why we should know him intimately is because he is struggling so that we can know Christ. This is his effort. This is his struggle. This is why he proclaims Christ and Christ alone. So as I say, we ought to know Paul. Understand this. We do not know Paul as being the end of our longings. This is not the, the, the source of treasure is knowing Paul. You see, the fountain of encouragement is not Paul himself, but it is Jesus Christ of whom he proclaims. Jesus is the source of love who makes us love one another. And so it is, making Christ known is at the center of all of Paul's efforts. And so understand, when I say, I want you to know Paul, I want you to know Paul so that you can know Christ. You see, lovers of Shakespeare read Shakespeare because they love him and his works and his writing and the romance and the drama and the tragedy of it all. And yet that's not why we read Paul. We don't like it just because we love logic. We love Paul because we love the God to whom he preaches. Fans of Tolkien do the same. We love Tolkien because we love hobbits and the Shire and Gandalf and this fight against good and evil. And yet that's not why we read Paul and know him so well. We know him because through him, we, he makes known to us the mystery of God, which is Christ. And so I want us to know Paul so that we might better know our Savior. 
For that is our, ga- our aim. That is our goal. That is our end. We ought to love Paul because Paul shows us the loveliness of Jesus Christ. So let's try to untangle this pretzel now to understand what he's saying. Look at verse 2b. He's doing this for the purpose of reaching all the riches, for us to have reached all the riches of full assurance, of understanding, of the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. I have underlined here the knowledge of God's mystery. And it's called a mystery here because God remains hidden to many and for ages was concealed. The full plan of salvation was not fully revealed to all people. Now, there are all kinds of ways in which people tried to unravel and uncover this mystery. Certainly men tried to build a tower to reach up into the heavens where they were separated from God. Others tried to attain this knowledge of God through good works in order to get closer to him. But all these efforts are useless. They are vain. They will lead to nothing but frustration. But Paul, he has a different effort that he employs so that we might know this mystery, this mystery that belongs to God. And Paul, he describes this mystery further in Ephesians 3. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, and there it is. If you want to know how you can know this mystery, it must be imparted to you through revelation from God. But Paul, he's a particular revelation that he's talking about, one that we cannot experience. So now, now what's going on is Paul, he is unpacking this revelation, this mystery that has been revealed. Verse 3, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. And when you read this, you can perceive into my insights into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So we can understand this mystery is not something that is still covered up. But this mystery that, that Paul is writing of in Colossians, it has been now uncovered. And so Paul, he labors in efforts to uncover that mystery, even to those of us who have not yet seen or understood. He wants us to have a knowledge of this mystery, but it's not just a knowledge. Go back to Colossians 2.2. 2. He wants us to have full assurance of understanding in the knowledge of God's mystery. So it's one thing to say you have understanding of how the body works, and yet it's another thing altogether to say you have full assurance of understanding of how the body works. You see, a high schooler in anatomy is going to have an understanding of how the body works. And yet none of us would let a high schooler in anatomy do surgery on us. So if you want to know what we mean here by full assurance of understanding, I think you would want the person operating on your body to have a full assurance of understanding on how the body works, not just a partial understanding of how the body works. You see, Paul, he, he's not content for us to just simply have some understanding of God. He wants us to have full assurance of understanding. You see, even the demons, they know something of God. In fact, I'd say the demons are better theologians than most of us in many ways. And yet what they know of God, they hate. And what they know of God, they will distort for your harm. You see, Satan, he quoted Scripture very well to Adam and Eve, even in the garden. He knew what God said, and yet what he did is he questioned God's Word. 
And yet he did this very same thing to, to our Lord himself when he was in the wilderness. Tempting Jesus by taking the word of God and using it in a way that is unfit. Yes, even the demons were able to recognize Jesus to be the Son of God before any of his disciples were. And so if we think that just a knowledge of God is sufficient, know this. If we know something of God but not have full assurance of God, know this. Satan will tempt you. and He will lead you into his snare so that he might kill you and rob you of all comfort and encouragement and strength. So it is not enough for us to simply have a passing knowledge of God. What we need is to have this full assurance of understanding of this mystery. And this word, assurance, is a comfort as well. It's the comfort of assurance that you know you're going to make it to your destination when you're driving on the highway because your gas tank is full as opposed to hoping your fumes will get you to where you need to be. Or the assurance of knowing that you have money in the bank to pay the bills this month as opposed to just hoping that you can make end meets. Or you kids who are in school, who have already done that extra credit to get a little extra buffer, it's the assurance of having 105%, not because you need it, not because it makes any difference, but because it gives you a buffer in case you don't do well on your next exam. This assurance that Paul is giving us through this knowledge, this full knowledge of this mystery and understanding, it is a comfort to us and one we ought to want so that we might not be convinced otherwise of that which we know so that we might not be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, but instead we might stand on the solid rock of God's word, having full faith, that confident assurance of things hoped for and conviction of things not seen. This is the assurance that Paul wants us to have. And then he compares this assurance of understanding of this knowledge. Look at verse 2 again. He, he says he wants us to reach all the riches, this, this knowledge, this full assurance of understanding, it is likened to a treasure, to great riches. And Paul is laboring to make us rich by it. And so where must this treasure be found? He wants to, us to reach all riches, the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. That's the explanation of what the mystery is. And the location of all riches is in Him, in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So do you want to know God's mystery? Then you must know Christ. Do you want to have full assurance that you know this mystery so that you might be, not be deceived and distracted by Satan and his enemies? Then you must obtain Christ. Do you want the love and unity and peace with your fellow man and peace with God? Then you must obtain Christ. If you want the comfort that Paul is laboring to give you, then you must have Christ. But if you want comfort, but you do not want Christ, then Paul has no comfort for you. You might look for comfort in career otherwise. Maybe your dream car. Maybe your kids are building a castle for your family. But what comfort will these treasures bring you when they fail you? Or what comfort will you find when you are on your deathbed? 
Or what comfort will you have on that day where you stand before the king who justly judges you for all of your sin? You can search for comfort outside of Christ, but know this, such comforts will not fully satisfy. And that is the message that Paul is preaching to the Colossians. If you want fullness of life, full satisfaction, then you must go to that where it is found, and it is only found fully in Christ. But some will reason, well, I know Jesus. We know the gospel. Teach us something new. Teach us something novel. Tell me something that I can impress at my next Bible study when I tell them about some word that I didn't know before. We'll understand all such reasoning as foolish. For Paul just told us, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hid in Christ. And so if you're bored with this simple old truth, if you are not content with it, and you desire to find knowledge and wisdom elsewhere, know this, you are a fool who is playing a dangerous game. For such reasoning is from the pit of hell. Such reasoning is what threatens to make shipwreck of the Colossians' faith. And this is the third reason why Paul is struggling for the Colossians. Look at this in verse 4. He's saying all this, all this struggle, all this effort for their comfort to make this treasure known in Christ. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. These convincing arguments are deceptive. And yet Paul, you need to know him because he is competing against your enemy for your sake. Yes, this word struggling, it means more than just a struggle, the way you and I might struggle to fall asleep at night. No, it is a competition, the way one might struggle against a foe, the way one might struggle against an opponent who is fighting you. And we do have an enemy, as I've mentioned many times, who wishes to take away your comfort and encouragement. He wishes to kill you. And Paul, he is struggling against that enemy. And he is, though a stranger, Paul, though we do not know his face, this enemy is very familiar to us. This is an intimate enemy that we see and we know face to face. Likely we've all been through a, a bookstore recently or maybe you've just even shopped online and seen the, the top Christian selling books. But if you go into like say a Barnes and Noble and look at the Christian bestsellers, I think you see the faces of some of those enemies. Those enemies which offer you fullness, something better, closer access to God, new relationships with God. And there on the poster of that book, you see their face. They're smiling and they're successful. They're wearing a suit. Oh, they're credible, aren't they? It looks nice. And yet they wish to give you treasures, but they do not point you to Christ. This is the enemy that we are fighting against, and yet it's been far more than just the bookstores. You see, these, these enemies exist even in our podcasts, and we listen to them regularly. And though we love it and enjoy it, we are unaware that these these enemies give you plausible arguments that are trying to pull you away from Christ. Take your eyes off of Him who alone has the power to satisfy you, who alone is sufficient and enough. 
But it's not just our podcast, even our own pews are filled with it. That's what Paul's writing about here to these Colossians. They are under this pressure of those who wish to distract them from Christ. Those who wish to give advice and help by some other means to get close to God without going through Christ, who is the only way and the truth and the life. And yet it's not even just those in the, in the pews, it's even those who might be in the pulpit. Well, it's true, I do certainly want to rightly handle the Word of God. It is very possible that even what I say is not true. And so you need to be a discerning listener of every preacher, even me, and even Tate. And Tate would agree. But even the, the deceptiveness is far closer than just the pulpit for even our own hearts that we are so prone to listen to are deceptive and wicked, coming up with excuses for why it's okay to do this and that, to dabble with a little bit of sin, or to even try to obtain righteousness through some other means other than Christ. And so this is why Paul is striving and struggling and wrestling so hard for the Colossians and for you and for me, is because he wants us to have comfort that is found in this treasure, which is Christ so that we would not be deluded and distracted and deceived by all these other plausible arguments. Oh, these lies, they come from so many places, but we know where they come from ultimately. They come from our enemy, from Satan, the father of lies, who played that game with Adam and Eve in the garden, and even they were susceptible to it. And so are you, and so am I. So all the more, this is why Paul is wrestling on our behalf, is so that we would be filled with this full assurance of understanding and knowledge of the mystery of God, which is Christ. And it is only then when we know Him, and I'm not talking about knowing Him with our mind, I'm talking about knowing Him intimately and being acquainted with Him. It is only then that the comfort that Paul struggles for might be enjoyed. Paul, he states it so clearly in, in 1 Corinthians. It's the very same thing that they were struggling against in different ways, though. Paul said, And I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in the plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, and that includes the wisdom of Paul, but rather in the power of God. So we might not know Paul face to face, oh, but we should know him. We should become intimate with him. In fact, I would say we would do well to be listening to Colossians over the course of this week and meditating as, as we spring back into this study. But our application goes further than just this. It goes further than just read your Bibles, although you ought to do so. It goes further than just loving Paul and knowing him as he loves you and works on your behalf. But hopefully by now you recognize that this text is is largely about the communion of the saints. Even Paul, though he was not with them in the flesh, he was present with them in spirit joyed by their good faith and their good order. Paul, he's about to make some bold requests. 
And not just to Philemon, but to husbands and to wives and to children and to masters and to bond servants and to each and every single one of us in one way, shape, or another. Oh, he's going to make some bold requests and it's not going to be asking for money. No, he's going to be telling you to to do what is good and right and pleasing to God. That is his desire in writing this, that we would know God so that we might live in a way that is fully pleasing and acceptable to him. And it's not just Paul who makes these requests, though, but even we do this among ourselves. It's true, even I got to know one of you this morning, asked your name, and got to know you for the second time, how embarrassing on my behalf. But uh, it's true, we don't know each other as well as we should. Many of us don't. And it's impossible for all of us to know each other as well as we ought to. And it seems even foolish for this 30-year-old to get up here and tell you a bunch of things that you ought to do. I mean, what do I know about how you should live? (laughs) And yet what I know is only from the Scripture. And so what? What should we do? There are servants here who are working for your comfort and your joy so that you might be strengthened to, to serve Christ so that you might know him intimately and be filled with this wonderful assurance. And these servants are going to come to you whether you like it or not. They might come in the form of a a comforting hug and loving you and welcoming you. But in turn, it may come in rebuke. It might come in the form of a command. These words might come in the, the, the form of warning. But know this, those servants like Paul are serving you for your good for your comfort, your joy, and your satisfaction in Christ. So this, brothers and sisters, let us encourage one another all the more as we say the day drawing near. Encourage one another to serve Christ, to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and even calling each other to repentance where there is sin. And may we ask this, may we ask the Lord to give us ears to hear when those words come and hearts to believe. Let me pray for you. Father, we do thank you that you have revealed this mystery, which is Christ, to us. And yet even still, there are some of us who have yet to believe because we have not seen. Lord, grant those of us who do not yet believe eyes to see this morning so that we might be amazed by the riches and beauty of Christ so that we might be satisfied by him today and so that we might worship him. And even for the rest of us who, though we believe, we still do not believe as we ought, would you strengthen our weak faith? Cause for us to delight ourselves in you and cause for us to worship you not just out of lip service but out of the joy for what you have done in our hearts lord would this happen here among us renew us we ask for your glory and our joy we pray in christ's name amen let's stand together